0: welcome back for another episode of the Wellpreneur Online Podcast. This week I'm talking to Lisa Fraley, who's a legal coach for holistic entrepreneurs. You might not have heard of legal coaches before. I know I hadn't before I came across Lisa and she's carved out a really cool niche for herself. Lisa worked for years as a lawyer in a big corporate firm and then did a career change and retrained as a life coach and health coach. And now she kind of combines the two by being a legal coach for holistic entrepreneurs. So she simplifies all of the intimidating legal stuff that many of us put off and explains in seven steps exactly what we need in order to protect our business. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about protecting my business from a legal standpoint, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun and it's something that a lot of us put our head in the sand about and just kind of keep putting off. And what Lisa explains is that this is actually a really important part of our business to help us do our best work. And she really simplifies and demystifies the legal protections that you need to put in place. So some of the things we're going to talk about during our conversation are the first step you need to put in place to protect your business. She answers the question about whether you can just copy legal language from another website and use it on your website. We also talk about how to get documents digitally signed, which I'm working all online and it's a bit awkward to send a document and have to print it off and get it signed and scanned and sent back to you. And Lisa shares with us some tips that you can use to actually sign your documents online. We also talk about the difference between trademarks and copyrights. And she shares some of her words that you need to avoid on your website. But before we jump into today's interview, I wanted to say that I'm just loving doing this podcast. I've really enjoyed all the experts that I've met and I've gotten a lot of good feedback from you guys as well that this is information that you hadn't found otherwise and you're feeling really inspired by listening to how all of these health and wellness entrepreneurs are building their businesses. And I'd also like to give a big thank you to everybody who's gone on to iTunes, and subscribe to the podcast and left me a review because actually going into iTunes, subscribing and leaving a review is how you're going to help to spread the podcast to new people. And actually already I've gotten into the new and noteworthy section, at least in the British version of iTunes, which is brilliant. And hopefully that will continue around the world. So if you haven't already, if you can go subscribe in iTunes, I'd be really thankful. I just want to give a couple of quick shout outs to people that have left little reviews for me on iTunes. So the tea Poet says a man- This podcast was both encouraging to somebody whose list is minute and who also prefers offline engagement. Look forward to listening to more on a regular basis. And Sylvia said the podcasts are so inspiring, refreshing, and filled with many good ideas. And finally, Vitality in Food says... And thank you very much. I love Amanda Cook. I've been following her for years. She's done an amazing job in this new venture, sharing how she's created her success, adding great insights from other successful and inspiring professionals in the health sector. These podcasts are an absolute must if you're setting up an online presence as a health coach or practitioner. Thank you so much, everyone, for your positive feedback and for supporting and sharing the podcast. I really appreciate it. So now, without further ado, let's jump into this interview with Lisa Fraley. Lisa. Hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to our interview.
1: Well, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm excited to talk with you as well. I think what's so interesting about you, and you're quite
0: different from the other people that I've had on the podcast, because you're obviously a health coach and a life coach, but also you're a lawyer. And now you're you are you're calling yourself a legal coach for holistic entrepreneurs. And I just love that because I know that all these legal issues are something that a lot of us just try to ignore because it seems really scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'm really looking forward to having you provide some clarity for us today.
1: Yes. Thank you. No, you hit the nail on the head because I do work with holistic entrepreneurs since I am a holistic entrepreneur myself as a health coach and a life coach. And what I found is that so many people were confused about the legal part and they actually said, Lisa, you're a lawyer. Can you help us? And that's mm-hmm. what prompted me to bring the two parts together actually to become a legal coach.
0: So you were probably, I'm just guessing here, maybe, were you trying to kind of transition away from the legal side when you yeah. were becoming a life coach and then you just kind of got Pulled back
1: into it. How Funny that how that out? works. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny how that works. Well, I actually, I started off my career years ago working in a large corporate firm right out of law school. It was very well regarded and it was a great place to work as a young attorney, but it was, you know, sort of your typical soul-sucking job. And I, I realized a number of years ago that I didn't want to be in that big firm environment, though I'm so grateful for all the knowledge I gained there. And what happened was I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up at that point. So I actually worked with, with a life coach and then thought, hmm, you know what, I think I want to become a life coach. So I really moved away from law and moved into coaching and other things as well, some nonprofit fundraising and, and some college fundraising. But what happened was as people started asking me legal questions, it, it just seemed to make sense to pull it back together and incorporate it into something that didn't exist yet, which was legal coaching. But I have to tell you, at first I was kicking and screaming. And then I realized <laughs> that it actually, you know, it's such a unique blend and the fact that as a health coach and a life coach, I get holistic entrepreneurs. It just was a beautiful way to help support the community that I'm already a part of and that I really care about so much. So it just it all it just evolved organically.
0: Yes, totally. And since I mean, you really get it, which I think is so nice because it can be quite intimidating about thinking of mm-hmm. going to see a lawyer. So totally you kind of eliminate that intimidation factor, which is cool.
1: Thank you. That's <laughs> one of my main goals. Actually, is that law does not have to be scary or mask or frightening or scarcity-based. You know, the legal parts to building a business are so important because this work that we do as holistic entrepreneurs, this is like our creative baby and we need to be allowed to protect it. Like you're allowed to protect your livelihood in a way that can be really sort of kind and compassionate and loving. It doesn't have to be antagonistic and negative and scary like a lot of people think law typically is. So Mm. I really do try to, I like to say, I sort of try to bring the feminine and the masculine together they're in the holistic business so that you can protect yourself, but in a way that's sort of kind and approachable and makes your clients comfortable.
0: Oh, I love that. That just feels so much better than <laughs> than normally the feeling that one gets thinking about talking to a lawyer. So thank you. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, so let's dig into some some juicy stuff then. So what are the most common legal mistakes you see holistic entrepreneurs making?
1: Mm, great question. I'm glad you asked that. You know, it's interesting because I found in working with holistic entrepreneurs over the past year or and a half or so that there's really three things that a lot of holistic entrepreneurs make as what we might call a mistake. And they're really places to start. So I always tell people, you know, if you're a brand new coach and you're like, I just started my business, I have no idea what to do. Or if even if you've been a coach for a long period of time and you just haven't gotten your legal ducks in a row, I always find that that three mistakes people make is the first one is not having a legal disclaimer on their website.
0: Okay so give us an example of what a disclaimer is. Yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah. So a disclaimer, okay, you'll notice on a lot of websites for companies across America, basically, that there's a a hidden page that usually you can link to at the bottom of the website that sets, it's a disclaimer, which means that basically it's letting people know what you do and what you don't do. And in our case, as a holistic entrepreneur or health coach, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole point is to educate people about the parameters of the work that you do, because in the, the legal coaching and health coaching world right now, there aren't laws that protect us. Our, Our profession is largely unregulated. So we have to do everything we can to be really crystal clear with our clients and with visitors to our website about the fact that we're not doctors and the fact that we are not providing medical advice and the fact that we are not encouraging people to stop taking their medication and that everything we're doing is purely educational. And we really need to be really clear so that people don't get confused. Because when our clients get confused and get all, excited about the advice that we're giving them, which is great. And we want them to do that. Sometimes they make their own judgments that may negate whatever their physician is telling them. And in the holistic world, we know there's many alternatives to traditional medicine. But at the same time, this is where the legal, the coach or the lawyer comes in to help the coach side, because we also don't want people to get confused and sue us. Mm -hmm. Right. So we want people to know that we want them to follow our recommendations and follow our advice, but not in a way that that really contradicts their healthcare to such a degree that it injures them in such a tremendous way that they sue us, right?
0: Right. Oh, totally. Yeah.
1: So a disclaimer helps kind of make clear the parameters in which we do our work as coaches.
0: Okay. So a disclaimer, so that's the first place to start, even if you're just getting set up, is just to have a link on the bottom of your site to a disclaimer that a lawyer's together.
1: Yeah. Okay. By the way, real quick, Amanda, let me just share too. I'm a big believer in the fact that disclaimers need to be fairly personalized. Like a lot of people ask me, oh, do you just have some like generic disclaimer I could just throw on my website? And I try to discourage people from doing that because everyone comes to their practice with their own background, their own expertise, their own programs, their own knowledge. And you want to protect you. Disclaimers protect you as a person and you're different and your business is different from anyone else's. So you really want it to be somewhat personalized for you. Right. So what about, um, yeah, mistake number two? Mistake number two is a lot of people actually get scared to use client agreements when working with their one-on-one clients. And in fact, I just had a gal this week who I talked to who had had been working with a client and she actually was owed $1,440 U.S. and was not paid. Mm. And did not have a client agreement in place, so
0: this is like when you're signing on a new client to have yeah. some kind of program agreement or something outlining like the cost and exactly
1: the terms. yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. Yes, Amanda. So it, the client agreement sets forth often things like, you know, their expectations of you as their coach, your expectations of them as a client, your payment and investment information, whether you have a refund policy. It usually includes a mini disclaimer and a limitation on your liability. But most importantly, what I try to explain is that it's really. I like to call it a compassionate container for your relationship. Most importantly, what a client agreement does is it it's like sitting down to play a board game and not knowing the rules of the game. So it's just a a container for setting forth how you're going to work together. Because if everyone knows up front how your relationship works and it's in writing, so they don't have to remember it all in their head, then there's a better chance that they're going to show up fully for you in a way that you want them to, which gets them better results, which also creates for you a better working experience. Such
0: a good point. I love that idea of a compassionate container. It just kind of like outlines Mm -hmm. the framework of your relationship, which is really nice. Exactly. But I know a lot of a lot of coaches I think feel a little bit uncomfortable asking for that because you know the kind of work we do you really develop a relationship with your client and well you get to know each other you're sharing they're sharing a lot of details with you and sometimes I think coaches can feel uncomfortable like it feels too formal or something in the beginning to ask for an agreement to be signed so in your own practice since you do both I mean do you have any tips around how you can present an agreement like that to your client?
1: Yes. And Amanda, you just hit the nail on the head because I think a lot of the reasons why people don't like to use client agreements is because they fear that the client will see it as an adversarial or formal structured scary document. And the coach side of me tries to help clients or my clients, other health coaches get comfortable with the fact that actually what you're doing is creating something loving for your clients. Interestingly, the clients follow our lead. So the more that we're comfortable with a client agreement, the more the clients are comfortable with it, with the client agreement. And actually what I tell people is to say that the client agreement really just includes the details of how you're working together so they can feel comfortable going forward of knowing how your relationship will work. So it's about comfort, it's about being a gift to your client, and it's about putting onto paper the details of how you're going to work together. I also encourage coaches to say, you know, client, and to do this as a part of their intake process, if you have any questions at all about any of this, we can talk about this. Like if there's something you don't agree with or something that doesn't feel comfortable for you, we can talk about that and we can revise it if we need to so that it becomes a more active joint effort, not just you imposing something on your client. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it can actually help enhance the warmth between you.
0: Mm -hmm. No, that's a really good point. It's like a starting point for a conversation or putting it out there. I think you made a good point too, which is that the clients will follow our lead. Because I think when clients come to us, they're actually looking for someone to take the lead. They're looking for someone to, to be the coach and tell them what to do, you know, and really provide that guidance. And so in a way you could look at it as really setting up a professional relationship because that's making it more professional and you're really establishing yourself in the leadership position by doing that.
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. That's so well said.
0: And this is just kind of something that just popped in my head, but do you really get them like in this digital world? You know, most of the people Ah. listening to this are we're talking about doing business online. Do you right. really get them physically signed and no. sent back? Or? <laughs>
1: no. I. You know, that's a brilliant question because there are so many services now. There are many companies. A couple that come to mind are EchoSign or DocuSign, but they are companies online that are very reputable. For example, EchoSign is connected to Adobe. But what you do is you literally upload your agreement into the online service. Like, echo sign and it emails it to your client to review and then they electronically sign it which means they just type in their name or type in whatever they want to from the keyboard to represent their name but it's legally binding so it's as if they took their pen and signed the document and some programs actually let you use a stylus depending on the program so if you're more comfortable actually signing your name you can but then what happens is it gets the final one gets signed by both parties and emailed to both so you have it as an electronic document that's completely considered a legally binding document oh that is so nice <laughs>
0: yeah because it feels really awkward if you're doing if you're working with clients virtually and so you don't really have any paperwork and then suddenly you have this agreement and they have to like no we
1: scan it and no 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 we have no time for that and we can't handle <laughs> that so what I tell people to do is just to make it a part of your intake process that you do when you work when you start working with your clients it's just one other step that they're going to do besides probably making their initial payment or perhaps setting up their first coaching call with you or their coaching schedule with you or whatever it is you have them do it's just a piece of that intake process
0: okay so what about oh I missed out is there another really big legal mistake you want to talk about
1: sure the last one the third one the big three I like to call them is sort of what I call not having online protection. What do I mean by that? So what I mean is the first piece is not having terms and conditions to protect your website. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here's the deal. Remember we talked about the legal disclaimer a couple of minutes ago. Mm -hmm. The legal disclaimer protects you. Do you remember me saying it protects you as the coach? The website terms and conditions protect the content on your website. Okay. Okay. So it's protecting what you have on your website. So like my blog posts. Yes. Your blog posts, your some people include recipes, people include you know, their program descriptions, protects anything that you have on your website that would be considered basically your intellectual property so that you're letting visitors to the site, not just your clients, but visitors to the site know that they are certainly welcome to review or perhaps even print off things on your website, but that you're basically setting forth all kinds of terms around what they can do and not do with that information. Like maybe they can't use it for commercial purposes or they can't copy your blog post and put it in their blog post without giving you credit, etc. So the disclaimer protects you as the coach and the website protects the information on your website.
0: Okay. So one thing that I think comes up a lot is a question about copyrights. Like, can we just put, can you just put copyright at the bottom of your webpage or the bottom of your blog post? Is that enough?
1: Yep. That is, a, that is a brilliant question. People ask that all the time. So here's the interesting thing about copyright. there's Your materials are automatically copyrighted by virtue of the fact that you are the original author. If you're writing original content, you are the author. You do, yes, have a copyrightable material that you can put the C with your name and the year and all rights reserved or whatever next to it. Now, there's a difference here, though, because it's not a registered copyright with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Same thing between a regular trademark and a registered trademark, okay? So for purposes of most people with their website blog and that information, you can and should put the copyright symbol with your name next to it, indicating that that you're declaring that this is your original content. It gets more complicated with the, the registered patent and trademark office. It's easier to explain that in the trademark standpoint, but basically when it becomes a registered copyright, you have greater rights that are associated with it than you do by just claiming the material as copyright copyrighted by you. Does that make sense? Yeah, That's but to do a registered top topic, but yeah.
0: But to do a registered copyright, you'd actually have to register it, yeah. I imagine, you right? Don't so need to
1: do that initially for sure.
0: And then yeah. a trademark would be something, that's something different, because I think people get confused about, right. do they need to worry about, like, they see the little TM beside some logos, and they think, oh, do I need that, or do I need a copyright? Is there, like, a right. really simple way to get the difference between those two?
1: Yes. The law is not really simple, but oh. I think it's simple. Okay, Yes. Yeah. So the simple way to explain it is trademarks are used for things like business names, program names, taglines, logos, concepts. Okay, Okay. that you want to basically claim ownership rights to by making them trademarkable. So like Starbucks and Coke and Lululemon, those are trademarked, which is very, very different from a blog post, which would be copyrighted because it's all that material in your blog that you're saying is your original content. Right. Trademarks apply to sort of short and sweet names, concepts, logos, program names, that kind of thing. Got it. Okay,
0: that makes sense. And I realize you're based in the US. So you're really talking about US law. I'm in London, but we've got people listening all over the world. And this kind of a, it's a situation that a lot of us find ourselves in now anyway, because since we work over the internet, you can work with clients anywhere in the world. So do you know how, I mean, are there, is there anything to keep in mind from an international
1: perspective Absolutely. So particularly regarding trademarks, for example. So the way that the world works, interestingly, is that it is still kind of segmented. So if you apply for a trademark in the United States, for example, you would have to also file for that trademark to be registered in the UK or in other parts of the world. It's not that you just, if you register your trademark in your own country, it does not mean that you're protected all over the world. So that's something to think about. If your business name or your program name, I always call it your money term, right? Which sounds kind of Kind of curt, and I don't mean for it to but you know where your gold mine is what you're what you've created that's it's really like a little nest egg of your business that's creative and unique and and really highly valuable to your business you really should try to protect it but if you protect it only in your country just realize that you may not be protecting it around the world you have to do that separately but there are websites that let you do it all at once you just pay more money basically and they file the paperwork for you or I can help you do that but In general, people need to be aware of of those kinds of of country issues.
0: And if you're working, like if you're based in the U.S., but you're working with a client Mm -hmm. that's maybe in London, because you're a U.S. business, then it's just... You don't need to do anything special because your client's overseas. In terms, or do you?
1: So glad you mentioned that. <laughs> I do have clients all over the world. For example, myself as a legal coach, and I know health coaches do as well, all over the world. And this is also what's interesting because business contractual relationships often most countries, and it's hard to generalize when you're talking about the law, but in general, most countries favor business contractual relationships to be agreements between parties that they agree upon the terms of whatever it is that they're contracting about. In other words, you know, as long as it's fair and equitable and you all agree to it, unless it's some unconscionable, horrible thing, most countries honor what people decide to go into business to at our level, certainly as coaches to contract about. Hmm. what. Part of what you do in your client agreement, which is why this can be important sometimes, is that there is a clause that's typically included that basically states that if there is a dispute, part of the comfort that you give your clients is being able to set forth in your agreement what were to happen if you had a dispute, what would happen if there was a problem between you down the road, and you as the coach can specify what state or country, the law that you want to apply to that situation. So if you are based in the UK or in London, you can say that you would like the laws of the U.K. to apply to that dispute resolution. If you're in the U.S., you can say that you'd like the laws of the state of Maine to apply. Obviously, it has to be where you're based, your business is based, but you can declare that up front. So there's no confusion about that later if that were ever to be a problem.
0: Oh, right. So basically, yeah, you set that up front and it just eliminates any confusion. So it doesn't really matter where your client's based because that's already outlined
1: in your. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But the agreement is the key for that, right? The written Mm. agreement, which is one of those mistakes we talked about that people don't have. Yeah. Right. So
0: is there something, you know, somebody listening to this podcast, What is there something people can do on their own, even without having to hire a lawyer that they could just go do today or put on their website or do something to kind of take action to help themselves become a bit more secure?
1: Sure. Okay, so this may also be a bit of a generalization to Amanda, but in general, at least in the U.S., uh, and I have to say I'm not really sure about the law specifically in the U.K., but in the U.S., There is a concern about health coaches being practicing as if or being confused with registered dietitians or registered licensed nutritionists. Mm -hmm. And I I imagine there might be a similar case in other countries as well. And so one of the things that I encourage health coaches to do is actually go look at your own website with an eye to that. So look at your own website objectively, step back and take a look at it, look at everything you have written on your website, and really look at how you use the word nutrition or diet because you don't want to be in any way giving a representation that you are a nutritionist or that you're a dietitian or that you're prescribing. In most states, you can't prescribe a specific meal plan for someone with a specific health condition, for example. So a lot of health coaches have specialties that they focus in on or perhaps illness illnesses or diseases that they really have some expertise around based on their own experience. And I just want to encourage people to make sure that they're not indicating in any way that they're a nutritionist or dietitian or that they're helping to heal or cure or treat any disease.
0: So what kind of, just give us an example, like what's the kind of stuff you would say that would be okay?
1: So instead of saying, I help heal people with autoimmune diseases through my health coaching programs, Mm-hmm. You might want to say something like by making small shifts to your diet and lifestyle you can help keep your body healthy and whole so that you don't end up with chronic immune autoimmune diseases. Do you right. understand the distinction? Yeah,
0: so you're basically not saying that you can cure something which right. I guess is a medical claim.
1: Correct. Yeah. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, I know sure. this is definitely an issue yeah. here in the UK too. That question comes up a lot.
1: It's usually prevent heal cure or treat a medical condition. And prevention, it's interesting because we know as health coaches so much of our work is around long-term prevention of illness. Mm-hmm. That's part of why we have the philosophies that we do and we we try to really help our clients make changes in their lifestyles and their diet. But we just want to make sure that we're not declaring that we are preventing an illness or healing an illness or treating a disease. We just have to be really careful with those semantics. So step back, like everyone step back and take a look at your own website and try to see if you can shift that language a little bit. To to make sure you're not implying any of that. That's great.
0: So you mentioned a couple of websites before, like EchoSign or DocuSign. Yeah. I was wondering if you have any other books or websites or resources that people might want to check out just to learn more about the topic or... Just things that have helped you personally running um, your coaching business.
1: Around my coaching business.
0: Well, either about law, but I'm having a <laughs> feeling many yeah. of those books might be pretty difficult <laughs> to, to read. I don't know. Maybe you know some great ones. So if not, then about your coaching business.
1: OK, I love books. So I have like a whole giant stack of books over here. I mean, if you talk in general about coaching, I'm sure many of your your audience will be familiar with The Big Leap by Gay and Marsha Hendricks. Yes, I love that book. Yeah, isn't yeah. that a wonderful book? Mm-hmm. And it, it really helps you, I like to just say it helps you kind of get out of your own way as you build your coaching business. Mm-hmm. That's one that I think is wonderful in general. I really also like The Four Agreements by Paula Coelho. Are you familiar with that oh, book? no, the I've four not read Agreements. that one. It's a wonderful book. And basically what he says is that there, if you really can live by four different tenets, they can change your life. I won't tell you all of them to give it all away. But one, for example, is don't take anything personally. Mm -hmm. One of the agreements that you can make is that you will not take anything personally. And as coaches, regardless if you're a health coach or a legal coach or any other kind of coach, you know, often when we have a client who doesn't sign up with us or who wants to think about it or who doesn't automatically get excited in the same way as we are about our work, you know, it can feel really discouraging and we can take it really personally and then it can kind of squelch some of our enthusiasm mm-hmm. and keep us small. Totally. Keep- For me,
0: it used to be when people would unsubscribe from my email newsletter. There you go. Because <laughs> I had those alerts set up, which, no, you should, if you have those alerts set up, you should, everyone should deactivate them because oh. it's great when you get one that somebody signed up, but when you get like, oh, two people unsubscribed, it's just so deflating in the beginning. So.
1: Wow, that that's good. That's good to point out. Exactly. So the idea of really trying to practice detachment. One of my coaches always calls it passionate detachment, where you can feel very passionate about the information that you're sharing and the programs that you're sharing, but detached from whether or not someone actually signs up with you. That's really a lot about not taking things personally. And we, I think we, I'm working on that always. We all are working on trying to keep ourselves feeling like the energy is flowing freely and that, you know, we're operating without a place of scarcity and really just believing the world is abundant and things come as they come when they're supposed to come to us.
0: Definitely. I'll check out that book. Thanks. Yeah.
1: Great. That's great.
0: So so what exciting things are you working on for 2014?
1: I know I can't even believe 2013 is going to be over and that we're (laughs) headed into 2014. But Amanda, recently... As a result of working with legal coaching clients over the past year and a half, I actually saw a trend as to what kinds of legal issues came up for them and what order I thought it made the most sense for them to do them in. Because we can't tackle all these legal things at once. It's completely overwhelming. So what I did was create a new seven-step legal uh, protection system. And there are seven steps, which, by the way, coordinate with the seven chakras.
0: Oh, I love it.
1: Enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the idea is that you basically start with step one, like your base chakra, and you put step one in place, and then you go to step two, step three, step four, and so on. As you build your system to protect your business, as you grow your business because it's just too much to do it all at once. So the first step is around putting that legal disclaimer in place that we talked about. So in January, I'm actually going to be doing a launch around step one, the legal disclaimer, so that I can help people start off the year with that first step to kind of get their legal ducks in a row and really go into the year ahead protecting themselves. And as the year progresses, I'll be working through some of the other steps and making those available for people to work on as well.
0: Awesome. I love that. I love that you made it really holistic aligning with the chakras. Yeah.
1: Cool. <laughs> well, you know, really it kind of cool. just made sense, right? We have to shore up our chakras and, yeah. and make our energy be strong and clear. So it made sense to do the very same thing with the legal steps to protect your <laughs> business. So thank you for that. I'm glad you like that, Amanda. Yeah, I love it. So, unfortunately, we're pretty much out
0: of time. This went so fast. I feel like I could just pick your brain forever, actually, (laughs) because there's so much good information. Um, But I think this is a really good overview for people so they kind of dip their toe in the water and don't feel too scared about the legal world. So, if people want some more information or to get in touch with you or to have you help them um, develop the, the legal areas of their business, where can they find you?
1: My website is lisafraley.com. So it's Lisa L-A-S-A. And my last name Fraley is F-R-A-L-E-Y. So com, And that whole seven step system is there as well as some legal tips. That's probably the easiest place to go. There's a contact form. So if someone has a question, you can just go ahead and email me your question. And I will be happy to set up a call to talk to anyone to answer your questions or just to help you get clear on what you might need to do for your own business. I'm always, open to chatting on the phone, no matter where you are in the world. So yeah, I'm, my whole mission on the plan is to help holistic entrepreneurs feel legally protected and to keep their business strong so they can be confident and safe and secure.
0: That's great. Thanks so much, Lisa. I'll put the links to all of that in the show notes as well so people can find it there.
1: That's great. Thank you so much, Amanda, for having me be a part of your program. It's been great to talk to you. Oh,
0: you too. Thanks. Bye.
1: Thanks. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Welfner Online Podcast all of the links to the websites and resources that we discussed in the show, you can find them at the show notes at wellpruneronline.com slash five. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help me to get the word out by going into iTunes and subscribing to our podcast and then also leaving me a review because taking those two actions will only take a couple of minutes and will really help me reach more people with this podcast. So thanks so much for listening and I'll see you back here next week with the next episode.